Hello and welcome to the reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette for today, Thursday, December 15th, 2022. I'm your reader, Ben Stein, and we'll open up today with an article of Massive Storms. This entitled, Massive Storm Brings Tornadoes, Blizzard Threat, More Free COVID-19 Tests, Bust of Dred Scott, Author Could Be Removed, Hot Off the Wire Podcast. On this version of Hot Off the Wire, a massive storm blowing across the country has spawned several tornadoes that wrecked buildings and injured a handful of people in Oklahoma and Texas. Meanwhile, much of the central United States braced Tuesday for blizzard-like conditions from the Rocky Mountains to the Midwest. The Biden administration is again making some free COVID-19 tests available to all U.S. households as it unveils its contingency plans for potential coronavirus surges this winter. French authorities say a car in the southern French city of Montpelier violently hit and killed a boy as crowds celebrated France's victory in the World Cup semifinal. The bust of a U.S. Supreme Court justice who wrote an infamous decision on slavery could soon be leaving the Capitol. The House approved a bill Wednesday that calls for removing the bust of Roger Taney, the nation's fifth chief justice who wrote the infamous 1857 Dred Scott decision that held African Americans were not citizens. In sports, Stephen Curry injured his left shoulder in a loss at Indiana. The Nuggets' Nikola Jokic had 43 points and the Wizards lost again. And France advanced at the World Cup. Earlier reports, the Federal Reserve reinforced its inflation fight for raising its key interest rate for the seventh time this year and signaling more hikes to come. But the Fed announced a smaller hike than it had in its past four meetings at a time when inflation is showing signs of easing. Whether increased regulation would have prevented the spectacular collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX was fiercely debated at a hearing of the Senate's Bank Committee Wednesday. However, new legislation is potentially on the way. Police say a shooting at an Amazon Flex warehouse facility in Arizona has left one contract worker at the facility wounded and the suspect dead. A San Francisco police sergeant has testified that the man accused of attacking the husband of U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said there was evil in Washington, and he was targeting Pelosi because she is second in line to the presidency. Ukrainian authorities say they thwarted a Russian attack on Kyiv and the surrounding region as their air defense system destroyed 13 explosive-laden drones. This year's nine Associated Press Breakthrough Entertainers of the Year includes actors and musicians who flowered in 2022. They are Sadie Sink, Stephanie Sue, Tanel Huerta, Joaquina Kulukango, Iman Vellani, Daryl McCorbick, Toby Nwigi, Simon Ashley, and Danielle Deadweiler. Twitter has suspended an account that used publicly available flight data to track Elon Musk's private jet, despite a pledge by the social media platform's new owner to keep it up because of his free speech principles. President Joe Biden says the U.S. should have societal guilt for the slow pace of action on restricting access to firearms as he marked the 10th anniversary of the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. Long time, the Ellen DeGeneres show DJ Stephen 
Twitch Boss has died at the age of 40. Boss's wife, Allison Holker Boss, confirmed his passing in a statement published Wednesday on People.com. General Motors is recalling more than 825,000 SUVs and cars in the U.S. and Canada because the daytime running lights may not turn off when the headlights are on. Company holiday parties are making a comeback. A survey of 252 U.S.-based companies by hiring firm Challenger, Gray, and Christmas finds that more than 57% of companies are planning an in-person holiday party this year. And with that, we'll go ahead and start moving to North Iowa news. This top story by Matthew Razab of the Globe Gazette, North Iowa, not immune to flu RSV spike. Hospitals across the county are seeing an early spike in influenza and RSV. North Iowa is no different. In addition, COVID still affects the area. Mesa City is kind of like the rest of Iowa, which is kind of like the rest of the country, where we've got flu that's coming early, said Dr. Patrick Courtney of Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center. We've got RSV hitting the under two age crowd heavier than it has been in eight or 10 years, and then COVID in the background. The so-called triple-demic is burdening healthcare systems across the country. The combination of influenza, RSV, and COVID has filled more than three-quarters of pediatric hospitals' beds nationwide, according to PBS NewsHour. Flu hospitalizations are at a decade-level high. In the last seven days, 54 people have tested positive for COVID in Cerro Gordy County, according to Iowa Department of Public Health website. The week of November 27th through December 3rd, there were 1,205 positive tests for RSV and 200 hospitalizations from the flu in Iowa, according to the Iowa Department of Public Health. Forgive me, I'm on the website and it has stuck, so I'm trying to move down. Courtney said there has Courtney said there have been delays admitting children to the hospital. I know there have been times where they've been where there have been pediatric patients that have had to stay in the ER for several hours until there's a bed available, he said. Courtney said it's important that people make the distinction between the stomach flu, which can cause upset stomach, vomiting, and diarrhea, with influenza, a respiratory virus that causes a dry, persistent cough, shortness of breath, fever, chills, tiredness, and weakness. The most common strain Courtney is seeing in patients is influenza A. He said of eight or so flu patients, he's seen all but one tested positive for the strain. Courtney also said getting a flu shot can help decrease symptoms and duration if a person does contract the virus. The goal is to wipe out the virus in a few days before it replicates and divides enough that it can start causing pneumonias and huge lung inflammation, he said. Courtney said part of the reason for the RSV and flu surge could be the lower spread during the pandemic because of social distancing, mask wearing, and people diligently getting their shots. Between not getting exposed to flu and RSV for the last couple of years, combined with not having those control measures anymore, is kind of adding up to having more cases, he said. Courtney added that people who are at risk of hospitalization or death from influenza or RSV, such as those with diabetes, heart disease, or asthma, should get tested immediately if they are symptomatic. Good resources to consult regarding influenza, RSV, COVID, or almost any other ailment are familydoctor.org or mayoclinic.org backslash symptoms, he said. Moving on to more news. 
This article, again from Matthew Rezab of the Globe Gazette, a Forest City man accused of holding women at gunpoint in August received a deferred judgment on an intimidation with a dangerous weapon charge and had five other serious charges dropped in Winnebago County District Court. Four of the charges were dropped Tuesday. According to court records, 18-year-old Kenneth Schuyler Dean Peddledy pleaded guilty to the Class C felony and will be on probation for five years and be required to pay a $1,370 fine. He also is not allowed to live in residence with minor children. Peddledy was originally charged with attempted murder, intimidation with a dangerous weapon, going armed with intent, domestic abuse assault, and false imprisonment. The attempted murder charge was dismissed in October because prosecutors said the charge was filed erroneously and there was insufficient evidence. The other four counts were dismissed Tuesday. The charges stem from an August 17th incident in which Peddledy allegedly took a Springfield XDS-9 pistol out while three women were in a four-city residence with him. The affidavit state he took the women's phones from them by threatening to shoot them if they didn't comply. Peddledy also used his own cell phone to text his mother saying, MP is gonna die. Peddledy, who was still 17 at the time of the incident, also allegedly threatened one of the victims with a knife and punched and kicked her and pulled her hair. Some more news. This um, about our Senator Charles Grassley. And it seems a little slow to load. Grassley unlikely to issue 2024 presidential endorsement. This from Tom Barton of the Gazette, Des Moines Bureau. Iowa's influential Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley indicated he likely will not endorse anyone ahead of the caucuses in the 2024 presidential election. The state central committee of the Republican Party of Iowa passed a motion last week stating no committee member, state party staff, state party officers, or Iowa Republican National Committee members shall publicly endorse a U.S. presidential candidate during the 2024 Iowa GOP caucuses. Asked whether he too would stay neutral, Grassley noted he has historically avoided endorsing candidates before the Iowa caucuses, with two exceptions. In 1996, Grassley and then Iowa Governor Terry Branstad endorsed Bob Dole, the longtime U.S. Senator from Kansas, who overcame life-threatening injuries during World War II to become a shepherd of the Republican Party and his party's nominee for president that year. Grassley endorsed Dole over Lamar Alexander, Pat Buchanan, Phil Graham, and Arlen Specter. The other time was in 2000, when Grassley endorsed George W. Bush over Steve Forbes, Alan Keyes, and John McCain, who chose to skip the Iowa caucuses. Hosting the first in the nation caucus is not just a privilege for Iowa, but a critical responsibility that affects the direction of our country as a whole. Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman said in a statement on passage of the Iowa GOP State Central Committee's motion. The Republican Party of Iowa is committed to executing this democratic duty with total neutrality and fairness. Grassley, speaking to reporters on a conference call Wednesday, said he shares that view. I think most of us that are elected to office in Iowa feel that if we start letting various candidates peel us off and whoever Grassley or Governor Kim Reynolds would support might discourage other people from coming to Iowa, he said. And we want a massive debate going on in Iowa and a massive effort for people to travel our state and get people's opinions and give their opinions as candidates. That we think that's the strongest way to get our strongest candidate we can. 
A group of National Democrats voted nearly unanimously earlier this month to recommend the Democratic National Committee strip Iowa of the first in the nation's status it has held for half century in the party's presidential nominating process in favor of more diverse battleground states. Republicans, on the other hand, already agreed to keep Iowa first in the nation caucuses for GOP candidates, and several Republicans already have been to the state to weigh the possibility of presidential runs. Former President Donald Trump last month launched a third White House run weeks after receiving a warm welcome in Sioux City, where he held a rally and campaigned on behalf of Grassley, whom Trump endorsed in the November 8th midterm election and other Iowa Republicans. Asked if Grassley, who won re-election to an eighth term, would return the favor and endorse a renewed Trump candidacy, a spokesman at the time said the senator encouraged, quote, all candidates to come to Iowa and make their pitch directly to voters, end quote. Republicans have distanced themselves from Trump in recent weeks over recent comments calling for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution, in order to reinstate him as president or hold a new election. Trump has also faced fallout and backlash from a dinner with white nationalist and Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes and rapper Kanye West, who has made a series of anti-Semitic comments that caused him to lose multiple brand partnerships. Grassley last week criticized Trump's comments, stating the idea was unconstitutional. Will Congress avert a government shutdown? Grassley on Wednesday was also asked about a framework on a spending bill to avert a partial government shutdown. Congress faces a deadline of midnight Friday to pass a bill to fund the federal government for the current fiscal year. The House and Senate are expected to pass another short-term measure before then to keep the government's running before the government running through December 23rd and allow budget negotiators time to complete work on an omnibus bill to fund the government through September 30th, 2023. Whether the current Congress will pass a funding bill before the end of the year and avert a showdown between President Joe Biden and next year's Republican-led U.S. House remains an open question, Grassley said. We probably won't see any paper on a spending bill for another two or three days, he said, and it's going to be a massive effort to go through that and to make up my mind. He said under the tentative framework uh, for the spending bill, Republicans would get a 10% increase without spending more on non-defense priorities, above what Biden had requested. Grassley said Democrats were willing to settle because they had previously passed bills on a party-line vote that allowed for more government spending on various domestic priorities. I can't give you any more details beyond what I just gave you, but I think this is going to get us to a funding bill by December 22nd, Grassley said. And the sooner we make that decision, the more efficient government you can have. And if something would fall through on that, then we're going to get a continuing resolution into next year, probably into the middle of February, I would guess. So we will move now to another article, this, and update model similar to one being used by the Minnesota State High School League. The system reduces 40% of a school's free or reduced lunch count from its annual enrollment to determine the school's classification number, according to a press release. Currently, classifications in Iowa high school athletics is based solely on enrollment. Voting on the amendment will be conducted via email by all member school superintendents starting December 16th and ending December 22nd. Approval from 50% of all member schools or from 60% of those that vote is required for the amendment to pass. The amendment will then be submitted to the State Board of Education. 
The model would apply to IHSAA football in the 2023-24 school year if passed. I want to commend the IHSAA Classification Committee, the Board of Control, and the IHSAA staff for their important work on this study and resulting recommendation, IHSAA Executive Director Tom Keating said in a statement. Our schools have asked us to consider socioeconomic factors in classification, and the IHSAA, after much study and discussion, is pleased to offer such a strategy. Clear Lake Superintendent Doug Yee said he is leaning toward voting yes, but wants to have more discussion with Athletic Director Tony Tisdall, Troy Tisdall. He added there has been a lot of exploration to make sports more equitable and keep kids in athletics. Clear Lake might receive a bump into 3A classification of past, according to Guy. I think it is good that the Athletic Association has put a lot of thought into this, Guy said. Garner Hayfield Ventura Superintendent Ken Casper is still thinking about how he will vote, but said the policy won't affect his district. The only effects GHV would see are changes in travel, rivalries, and who would be in Class 2A, according to Casper. There are benefits with some districts, and some might see it as a disadvantage, Casper said. Osage and Riceville Superintendent Barb Schwaman said the socioeconomic weighting is a positive that would that would help alleviate that would help alleviate the disparity between programs. Schwaman is a member of the local board of is a member of the board of control, which maintains general supervision over all athletic contests of member schools and interprets rules according to the IHSAA website. Schwaman said Osage would not be affected by the model, but Riceville might see an impact if it adds more teams to the eight-man field. She added the proposed change will boost participation numbers and give opportunity to more students. Both schools are very blessed to have enough out for football, but not all have the same situation, Schwaman said. Schwaman said her districts are leaning in favor of approving the socioeconomic factor. I do think we need to look at the bigger picture, said Schwaman. Basin City Superintendent Pat Hamilton said he hasn't made a decision on how he will vote and wants to speak with people in his district before deciding. I think it is meant for districts and areas that have kids that have trainers and money. The idea is to level the playing field, said Hamilton. Due to the size of Mason City as a district, the idea would not have much effect on the Riverhawks, according to Hamilton. He is curious how participation will be affected if it were to pass. Gee, Hamilton, and Casper said they have not talked to other superintendents about how they are voting. Schwaman has spoken to other superintendents about the topic, along with passing along information because of her position on the board. At the moment, football is the only sport in which applying the socioeconomic factor is being considered. Some North Iowa superintendents want to see how it affects football for two years before considering other sports. I am glad that they are trying with one sport instead of them all, said Casper. Football was a choice to see how the model affects classifications, according to Hamilton. He is interested to see if it expands from football in the future. The bottom line is that we will try it in football and then try it in other sports, Schwaman said. IHSAA's example of the proposed model. The school's basic educational data survey enrollment, 9 to 11, for the upcoming school year is 1,000. The district's free and reduced lunch percentage is 37%. The uh, example of 1,000 minus 0.40, there's some math here, 
but that would give the classification for that particular school. In other news, here we go. Mason City uh, High School Vocal Department to present annual winter concert. This from Abby Koch of the Globe Gazette. The Mason City High School Vocal Music Department on Friday, December 16th at 7.30 p.m. The concert will be held at the North Iowa Community Auditorium at the Nyack campus. The evening will feature the talents of more than 200 students performing a wide variety of seasonal multicultural music from around the world. The concert is free and all members of the community are welcome to attend, according to a press release. Audiences will hear from the inclusive choir, varsity choir, and the concert choir. For the grand finale, Night of Silence, we will unite all of Mason City High School choirs to close the night. And moving to other news, Mason City man pleads guilty to robbery. This article from Matthew Razab of the Globe Gazette. A Mason City man who attempted to steal an Xbox video game console and assaulted the owner pleaded guilty to first-degree theft in Cerro Gordo County District Court on Monday. According to court records, 28-year-old Derek Jariah Raphael is facing up to 10 years in prison for the Class C felony. The plea deal recommends 10 years in prison and a suspended $1,375 fine. Raphael was originally charged with second-degree robbery, which also is a Class C felony. The charges stem from an incident that took place at a residence in the 600 block of North Pennsylvania Avenue in Mason City around 8.19 p.m. on September 30th. The affidavit states Raphael claimed he was at the residence to purchase the Xbox, but the alleged victim didn't feel safe and asked Raphael to leave. The man reported to police Raphael told him he needed to calm down before I just take it. Raphael then allegedly proceeded to try to leave with the Xbox and struck the victim in the face, splitting his lip open. According to a press release issued by the Mason City Police Department, the man called police and reported he was able to get away from Raphael with the aid of a knife. The caller refused medical attention. Raphael was later taken to Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center in Mason City and treated for minor injuries. Sentencing hearing is scheduled for January 23rd. The presiding judge is not bound by the plea deal recommendation. Now to some international news. This centering around Harry and Meghan and they vent grievances in their final Netflix episodes. This from Sylvia Hui and Danica Kirka of the Associated Press from London. Prince Harry and his wife Meghan vent their grievances against the British monarchy in the second half of their Netflix documentary, series released Thursday, which includes Harry describing how his older brother shouted at him during a meeting with Meghan, talking about wanting to end her life as she struggled to cope with toxic press coverage. The couple have detailed their experiences, leading to their decision to step away from royal duties and make a new start in the United States in Harry and Meghan, a six-part series. The first three installments released last week focused on the British media's coverage of the couple and the way it was influenced by racism. The final three episodes see Harry, 38, directing more of his ire at Prince William, now heir to the throne, and speaking in more detail about how his relationship with the royal household broke down. He recounted how William lashed out at him during a royal summit at Sandringham Castle in January 2020 to talk about Harry and Meghan's plan to step down as senior royals and move away. Quote, it was terrifying to have my brother scream and shout at me and my father say things that just simply weren't true and my grandmother quietly sit there and sort of take it all in, Harry said. 
The royal said he and Meghan's plan to stay half in, half out of royal life was swiftly rejected. Elsewhere in the series, Meghan, 41, says she thought about killing herself before she and Harry decided to move to America. Quote, it was like, all of this will stop if I am not here, she said. Harry added to that he believed the mail on Sunday's publication of a letter Megan wrote her estranged father, Thomas Markle, contributed to her having a miscarriage. Megan later sued the mail's publisher and won. I believe my wife suffered a miscarriage because of what the mail did, Harry said, bearing in mind the stress that caused, the lack of sleep, and the timing of the pregnancy. That miscarriage was created by what they were trying to do to her. Harry stressed it was ultimately his decision, not Megan's, to leave the UK. I said that we need to get out of here, he said. Palace officials have not commented on the series. The production is Harry and Megan's latest effort to tell their own story after the couple stepped back from royal life in early 2020 and moved to the wealthy Southern California enclave of Montecito. Lucrative contracts with Netflix and Spotify have helped finance their life on an estate overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Netflix series has come out at a crucial moment for Britain's monarchy. King Charles III, Harry's father, is trying to show that the institution remains relevant after the death of Queen Elizabeth II, whose personal popularity damped criticism of the crown during her 70-year reign. Harry's 2018 marriage to the former Meghan Markle, a biracial American actress, was once seen as a public relations coup for the royal family, boosting the monarchy's effort to move into the 21st century by making it more representative of a multicultural nation. But the fairy tale punctuated with a horse-drawn carriage ride and lavish wedding at Windsor Castle soon unraveled amid relentless media attention, including allegations that Meghan was self-centered and bullied her staff. A look at some other allegations Harry and Meghan make in the second half of their series on the Royal Press Machine. Describing royal press operations as a dirty game, Harry said there was leaking and planting of stories and that the palace comms team would seek to deflect negative coverage of one royal by issuing a story about another royal. He talks about being sidelined, citing the example of a joint statement palace official issued on behalf of him and William to squash a story about William bullying the couple out of the family. He said it was issued without his consent. I couldn't believe it. No one had asked me permission to put my name to a statement like that, Harry said. They were happy to lie to protect my brother, and yet for three years, they were never willing to tell the truth to protect us. I mean, the saddest part of it was the wedge that it created between me and my brother, so that's so that he's now on the institution's side. Megan's lawyer, Jenny Afia, claimed in the series that she saw evidence of negative briefing from the palace against the couple to suit other people's agendas. She did not elaborate on the evidence. On being blocked from seeing the Queen, the couple said they planned to see Harry's grandmother, Queen Elizabeth II, during a visit to the UK in early 2020, but palace officials blocked it. Meghan said Harry received an urgent message saying, you are not allowed to go and see Her Majesty. Harry said he rang the Queen, who told him that, I didn't know that I was busy. I've now been told I'm busy all week. Quote, this is when a family and a family business are in direct conflict because they're blocking you from seeing the queen. But what they're really doing is blocking a grandson from seeing his grandmother, Megan told the documentary makers. With that news, we will now go to the obituaries. And we'll go ahead and start here with 
the obituary of Patricia Joanne Pat Johnston. From Mason City, Patricia Pat Joanne, formerly Hines Johnston, 85, resident of Mason City and Naples, Florida, passed away Thursday, December 8th at the University of Iowa Hospitals in Iowa City. The family will hold a private service per her final wishes. Pat was born November 28, 1937, in Mason City, daughter of Leo P. and Leona Janet Hines. She graduated from Manley High School in 1955, then attended Mason City Junior College. After junior college, she attended the University of Iowa, where she earned her bachelor's degree in occupational therapy. She met the love of her life, Thomas Tom Johnston, in a biology class they shared together while attending junior college. They were assigned seats at the same desk, and the rest is history. Pat and Tom were united in marriage June 17, 1961, at the Evangelical United Brethren Church in Manly. Following their marriage, they traveled to San Antonio, where Tom was inducted into the U.S. Air Force. They spent a year at Lackland Air Force Base, then transferred to McCoy Air Force Base in Orlando, Florida, for another two years before returning to Mason City. Upon their return to Iowa, she practiced as an occupational therapist before she and Tom moved to Rochester, New York, for his residency in orthodontics. While Tom was enrolled at Eastman Dental Center, she supported him working as an occupational therapist at Monroe County Hospital. In 1972, they made their home back in Mason City, where Pat eventually worked for and managed the Four Seasons Travel Agency for many years. She loved planning vacations for her clients, as well as many trips she and Tom were able to enjoy together. Although she cherished all of their destinations, their most memorable were Italy and Ireland. They also enjoyed skiing and had a passion for the Iowa Hawkeyes. She and Tom held season tickets for Iowa football and basketball, attending as many games as possible. Pat was a passionate fan and loved cheering on the Hawkeyes. Pat was a vital member of various community organizations and could be considered a trailblazer. Her confidence, paired with an ambitious and vibrant personality, paved the way for Pat to be the first female elected to the board of directors of the Mason City Country Club, as well as one of the few initial women members of the Mason City Rotary Club. She also participated on the Mason City Airport Commission. After many years in Mason City, Pat and Tom eventually began spending their winters enjoying their home in Naples, Florida, where she also participated in numerous groups and organizations. Pat had many friends. Her fun personality and contagious laugh were infectious. She was incredibly intelligent in many areas and had no problem controlling a conversation. Pat also loved to play bridge, playing with many different groups, She had many talents, including being an excellent cook. Everyone looked forward to her hosting Christmas and Thanksgiving dinners, as well as other gatherings with her friends and family. Pat's cooking was something to look forward to, regardless of the occasion. As a loving wife, supportive sister, and lively aunt, Pat is irreplaceable and will be dearly missed. Pat is survived by her husband of 61 years, Tom, siblings Richard Hines and Pamela Barnston, many beloved nieces, nephews, extended family, Pat was preceded in death by her brothers, George and Robert Hines, and parents, Leo and Leona. Memorials may be given in Pat's honor to the charity of your choice. Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapels, 641-423-2372. Cheryl Yvonne Ingbretson, 76 of Mason City, passed from this life December 9th at the 100F home in Mason City. A graveside service will be held at 11 a.m. December 17th at Hillside Cemetery in Sheffield, Iowa. Cheryl was born on the family farm south of Thornton, February 27th, 1946.
She joined her brother Ron to parents Roland and Shirley Ingbretson. She received her baptism and confirmation at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Thornton. She was active in her church and was their church organist for many years. Cheryl graduated from Mesory Thornton School in 1964. She was active in most school programs and activities and graduated as class president and salutatorian. She went on to Waldorf College in Forest City and graduated in 1966 as a medical secretary. During her high school and college years, she also had many piano and accordion students. She began her career in the offices of Sertori Hospital in Cedar Falls for six years. She worked two years at the Lifetime Motorhome Office in Mason City and then began work at the Mason City Post Office in 1973. She was appointed postmaster at Rudd in 1985, where she worked until she retired in 2001. Cheryl's love of all the animals began while being raised on a farm. She was always concerned for the well-being and care of animals. She happily shared her home with many stray and adopted cats for many years. She gladly sponsored a child, Irumbi, and her family in Uganda for 20 years. She later added Irina in Uganda and Sharon in Kenya. She gratefully provided them with food, clothing, and support, which allowed them to attend school. Cheryl was an avid reader and found joy in her own personal library and collecting books. She enjoyed decorating her home and after retirement could further her latest hobby of flower gardening. Cheryl was preceded in death by her father in 1986 and her mother in 1996. She is grateful for many good friends and shared her life's journey with her. And moving on to, so this is um, Thomas Madsen. Thomas Tom, oh, I'm sorry, Thomas Owen Madden of Mason City, Iowa, entered heaven on December 6th, surrounded by his children. Given Tom's lifelong commitment to the Holy Family Parish, any donations may be directed to the Epiphany Parish Building Fund, 305th Street, Southeast, Mason City, 50401. Plans for memorial services are pending. He was born March 7, 1932, to Thomas and Regina Madden in Mason City. He graduated from Holy Family High School in 1950 before graduating from Mason City Community College in 1952. Tom served in the United States Army during the Korean War and was stationed at Fort Bliss, El Paso, Texas. He achieved the rank of sergeant. He began his career as a firefighter in 1955 and retired as chief inspector in 1988. Tom was united in marriage to Eleanor Agnes Malloy on April 7, 1956 in Holy Family Catholic Church in Mason City. They were blessed with three children. Tom's faith was very important to him and he was an active member of the Holy Family Parish and the Knights of Columbus. After retirement, Tom volunteered at North Iowa Mercy Medical Center. Tom valued his time with family and friends, enjoying boating, snowmobiling, water skiing, racquetball, and basketball. He loved reading and traveling with Eleanor. He was an avid and faithful fan of the Green Bay Packers, win or lose. Tom was survived by daughter Anne Madden Rice, son Stephen Joseph Madden, daughter Lynn Madden Westfall, Grandchildren, Catherine Rice Warnell, Charlotte Rice Wylodge, Cole Thomas Westfall, and Amelia Westfall, great-grandchildren, Greta Rose Warnell, and Martin Thomas Warnell, and sister, Regina Bamrick, and many nieces and nephews. He is preceded in death by his wife, Eleanor, his parents, daughter-in-law, Deborah Jameson, and six brothers and sisters, and their spouses. From Hogan Bremore Moore Colonial Chapels, 641 423 
seven, two. From Marble Rock, Richard Dick Wilm, 74, of Marble Rock, passed away Thursday, December 8th at the University of Iowa Hospital. A funeral service for Dick Wilm will be held at 1030 Thursday, December 15th at St. Mary's Roosevelt Church, 2397 Highway 14 in Marble Rock, Iowa, with lunch to follow. Visitation will be held at St. Mary's Roseville Gym on Wednesday, December 14th from 4 to 6.30 p.m. Dick, the son of Alphonse and Rose Wilm, was born June 13, 1948 in Mesa City. Dick graduated from Green High School in 1966, then drafted into the Army in 1967. While in the Army, he wrestled Greco-Roman and freestyle and left with a ranking of Spec 4. On April 8, 1972, Dick was united in marriage to Mickey Margie Kunkel in Green, Iowa. The couple made their home in Marble Rock and were blessed with three children, Trampus, Jolly, and Shady. Dick held a variety of jobs from working at a meat packing plant, truck driver for Rockford School District, and running the family feeder pig operation. He enjoyed sports, both coaching and watching, and was usually the loudest in both roles, plus playing cards with friends in card club. Dick could be found in whitetails, talking with anyone who would sit down with him, probably solving the world's problems, and watching his grandchildren's sporting events. Dick is survived by his children, Trampas Wilm of Cumming, Jolly Wilm of West Des Moines, and Shady Norby of Rudd. Seven grandchildren, Marissa Norby, Trey Norby, McKenna Norby, Nate Aveny, Ben Aveny, Zane Wilm, and Holden Wilm, brothers Bill, Dan, Larry, Dave, and Mike Wilm, sisters Kathy Brunsma, Connie Helgeson, Barb Rasty, and Judy True, and many nieces, nephews, brother and sister-in-laws, other relative and friends. He was preceded in death by his wife, parents, sister Rosie Trees, brother-in-law Brian Trees, and sister-in-law Karen Wilm. Council Woodley Funeral Home of Green is caring for Dick and his family. With that, we'll go ahead and we'll move to the sports section of the Globe Gazette, and we will start with high school wrestling. High school wrestling, it's time to rumble. Battle of Waterloo features the best of the best. This from Jim Nelson, a regional sports editor from Waterloo. Since its inception more than a decade ago, the 32-team Battle of Waterloo at Young Arena in Waterloo Friday and Saturday has been an all-out war. It has been a test of the best. The, that fact won't change this weekend as all three defending dual state champions, Don Bosco of Gilbertville in 1A, West Delaware of Manchester 2A, and Waverly Shellrock 3A are entered in the field. Additionally, eight other teams that qualified for the state duels last February are in the field. We are excited to go see where we are at, Osage head coach Brent Jennings said of his Green Devil squad that earned one of the top seeds in the tournament. We didn't have too good of a tournament down there last year, so we really want to do a better job this year. Osage lost in a bracket final in the 2021 version to WSR 57-14 and then proceeded to go 0-3 in its pool the following day. A year later and a year older, Jennings says his team is better prepared. We basically have the same team back. We had a senior in and out of the lineup, but everyone else is back, Jennings said of his squad that went on to finish third in the 2A state dual championships. The kids are older and more mature physically and mentally. I'm expecting them to handle it. The challenge, well. We have a pretty balanced lineup, and we have few freshmen who have come in and have fought hard and are having pretty good years. 
WSR, the defending champion Lynn Marr of Marion and West Delaware, are the other top seeds, while West Des Moines Valley, Don Bosco, Cedar Rapids Prairie, and Ankeny are all two seeds. Jennings says the Green Devils have high expectations for the weekend. We're looking forward to wrestling with some of the best, he said. It's going to help us moving forward because the expectations are going to keep on rising. In addition to the tough field, several teams have been battling illness. One of those is Eric Whitcomb's Waverly Shell Rocks Go Hawks. To be honest, I don't know what kind of lineup we will have, Whitcomb said. We have been shelled by sickness. Our lineup could look different. We're going to show up and put the best product out there we can and see what happens. Whitcomb says illness began to creep into his team prior to the Dan Gable Donnybrook last week and has progressively gotten worse. A lot of our guys, even the ones who are able to make it to practice, you can see they don't look well, Whitcomb said. But we talk all the time with our team that in any season, when you're competing for a championship, you're never going to feel 100%, and you got to get used to the bumps, bruises, or illness. So our philosophy is we want to test ourselves against the best, and that is what we are going to do this weekend, regardless of who we send out there. Action begins at 9 a.m. Friday at Young Arena in Waterloo. It could get hot and heavy early, despite in particular on the individual match front. Case in point, Osage opens with Columbus Catholic, where at 170, a pair of defending state champions, Nick Fox and Max Magena, could square off. And that is just one potential highlight match over what should be two exciting days of wrestling. We would want that match, Jennings said. In Hall of Fame ceremonies each year, the Battle of Waterloo inducts a new class of former coaches, wrestlers, officials, or community supporters into the Battle of Waterloo Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame reception and ceremony will take place tonight from 5 to 7 at the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, Dan Gable Museum in Waterloo. This year's inductees are Rich Bynack of West High, Quentin Haynes, East High, Steve Gillen, BOW Community, Cassie Herkelman-Jakubek, BOW Competitor, 1964 Waterloo East High State Championship Team, 1977 Waterloo West High State Championship Team, Morkel Family, BOW Wrestling Family, East High Individual State Champions, 1933-1959, and West High Individual State Champions, 1933-1959. Moving to local basketball news. High school basketball, Charles City falls in double overtime thriller to Waverly Shellrock from Waverly, and this from Jim Nelson, regional sports editor. There were 15 lead changes. The game was tied nine times. There were also two buzzer-beating shots. In a game that had all the feeling and intensity of a sub-state final, the Charles City and Waverly Shell boys put on a show Tuesday in a Northeast Iowa Conference game. In the end, the Gohawks survived pulling... Out a thrilling 81-77 double overtime win over the Comics. It really came down to us making some plays down the stretch that had nothing to do with something that was drawn up or what we've been working on in practice, WSR head coach Nate Steege said. It was just guys making plays. From the beginning, it was a tight battle. WSR 2-2 two two, took the early advantage and led 18-13 after one. But Charles City found its groove to open the second quarter, scoring the first nine points, the final two on a steal and dunk by Chase Lowe that made it 22-18 comments. The Gohawks, who failed to score for the first five minutes and 32 seconds of the second final, found their touch and a Clay Draper layup with 11 seconds left to have at half gave them a 27-25 halftime lead. 
The first half only set the stage for more back and forth in the second. The Comets scored the first six points out of the break, only to see the GoHawks respond with the next eight. The lead switched to both sides the remainder of the game until there were two key plays that extended the game. The first saw Charles City's Keenan Wiley take an inbounds pass with 3.9 seconds left and drive the lane to tie the game at 61 with layup that beat the regulation buzzer. Give them credit, Steve said. Every time we felt we might be getting over the hump, they'd make plays. Then, in the second overtime, with time running out, Luke Frizzell found himself open underneath the basket, and his layup, as the buzzer sounded, sent the game into a second overtime 69-all. Back-to-back threes by Noah and Luke Frizzell gave the GoHawks a cushion in the second overtime, and WSR made just enough free throws down the stretch to pull out the win. We just kept shooting, being aggressive, Frizzell said. Shooters shoot. It doesn't matter what time of the game it is. Luke Frizzell led four WSR players in double figures with 21. Cole Marsh added 18, Benny Ramker at 14, and Noah Frizzell 13. Charles City was led by 29 points from Lowe and 22 from Cam Mestiz, while he added 13. We talk about effort, focus, and discipline, Comet head coach Ben Clapperich said. I thought we should some really, really good spurts of that effort, focus, and discipline. But we got to work on putting together 32 minutes of solid basketball. A little bit tougher, a little smarter, and a little bit more disciplined. We had 18 turnovers, and I don't care who you were playing, that is a significant amount of turnovers. The loss snapped a three-game win streak for the Commons that are now 4-2. and two. There was way more good stuff that happened in this game than there was bad, Clapperich added. Just really proud of our guys' efforts of continuing to battle back and not throwing in the towel. In the girls' game, Waverly Shellrock rolled, scoring the first 15 points of the game as the Gohawks scored a 79-18 victory. Waverly Shellrock 4-1 led 44-12 at halftime, and there was a running clock just two minutes into the third quarter as the Gohawks scored the first 18 points in the second half. We told our kids the number one thing is we have to have great effort, WSR head coach Greg Bodensteiner said. One of the things we talk about is showing up every day, getting better every day. You can't do that if you don't give great effort, and I thought our kids met that challenge tonight. Brenna Bodensteiner led all scorers with 17 points, including five three-point makes. Sydney Bieneman added 12. After losing game two of the season to top-ranked Cedar Rapids Xavier by nine, Bodensteiner has liked how the GoHawks have improved. We had games against Clear Lake and New Hampton last week where I didn't think we were at our best, Bodensteiner said. It was kind of that first time where we were starting to expand what we did preseason. Tonight gave us an opportunity to do some of those things we had added since the beginning of the year that we thought could be strengths for us. We have three games left before Christmas break, and we need to make a strong push. Tonight was a good step for us from an energy standpoint and just need to continue to build and not take steps backwards. This group has a pretty high ceiling, I believe, but we are experienced, so we have to keep climbing every day. Charles City was led by Destiny Ruzika. She finished with eight points. And we'll go ahead to the scores for, I suppose this would be on now Tuesday. Tuesday's high school basketball roundup, Red Hot Newman Catholic downs Rockford. Newman Catholic shot 56% from the field as the Knights rolled to a 91-53 win over Rockford Tuesday. Douglas Taylor had 28 points and 21 rebounds, while Max Burt had 21 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, and 4 steals 
to help lead Newman to its fourth win without a defeat. Noah Hamilton added 10 points and 7 boards. Clear Lake 79 over Clarion Goldfield Dow's 38. The Lions improved to a 4-0 by shooting nearly 60% from the field in beating the Cowboys. Sophomore Titan Schmidt had 22 points, while Travon Louis-Bia had 21 points, 8 assists, and 4 steals. Osage 58, North Butler 40, Gaynor Hayfield Ventura 74, Algona Garrigan 49, West Fork 57, 57, Central Springs 54, Mason City 48, Des Moines North 43. Girls Basketball, Newman Catholic beats Rockford 60-22, West Fork over Central Springs 75-31, Clear Lake 70 over Clarion Goldfield Dow's 27, Algona... Garrigan 71 over Garner Hayfield Ventura 41, Des Moines North 64, Mason City 59. And with that, I'm going to read quickly about the Cheer Fund donation, and then I'll move on to the weather. Cheer Fund donation through December 14th. Like the people listed below, you can make this holiday season merrier for a family in need. Donate in person or by mail at Globe Gazette Office, 687 South Taft Avenue, Suite 2, Mason City, 50401, or mail donations to P.O. Box 271, Mason City, Iowa, 50401. Today's total, $3,815. To date total, $37,963. Still needed to reach the goal, 62037 and with that, we'll close up with a quick look at the weather. Today, snow in the morning will transition to snow showers this afternoon. Temps nearly steady in the low to mid-30s. Winds west to southwest at 15 to 25 miles an hour. Chance of snow, 90%. Snow accumulations, less than one inch. Tonight, variable clouds with snow showers. Low near 20 degrees. Winds west at 15 to 25 miles an hour. Chance of snow at 50%. Snow accumulations, less than one inch. Tomorrow, windy and snow showers in the morning. High of 26 degrees. Winds west at 20 to 30 miles an hour. Chance of snow at 50 degrees. And with that, I believe I will just go ahead and close the news for the day. And with that, that does it for today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette for today, the 15th of December. I'm your reader, Ben Stein. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening.
in the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. With half a dozen measles outbreaks currently underway in the U.S., as well as several serious international outbreaks, the news on measles vaccine from Denmark is important. Researchers conducted a nationwide study that included everyone born between 1999 and 2010. With more than 650,000 children in that group, they had more than 5 million person years of follow-up. The Danish health system keeps excellent records on all of its citizens, including the children. Consequently, the scientists are confident that the 6,517 children diagnosed with autism during the study period are all the children who developed this condition. Children who did not receive the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, or MMR, were equally likely as vaccinated children to develop autism. The investigators conclude, the study strongly supports that MMR vaccination does not increase the risk for autism, does not trigger autism in susceptible children, and is not associated with clustering of autism cases after vaccination. The Food and Drug Administration has just approved a completely new type of antidepressant, the nasal spray, called esketamine, is expected to help people who have not responded to standard antidepressants. It will be marketed under the brand name Spravato. This drug is chemically related to the injectable anesthetic ketamine that's been on the market since 1970 and is available generically. Although esketamine is administered as a nasal spray, people will not be permitted to purchase it for home use. They will need to use Spravato under medical supervision at a clinic or doctor's office. Some experts have challenged the FDA's approval process for esketamine. While two clinical trials demonstrated some benefit, two others did not show that esketamine is better than placebo. Side effects of this novel antidepressant include nausea, dizziness, headache, and a feeling of dissociation. FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb unexpectedly announced his departure from the agency this week. Experts were puzzled by his announcement since he has received high marks from the administration, industry, and even some consumer groups. Dr. Gottlieb has raised questions about teen vaping and has been an outspoken critic of pharmacy chains that sell tobacco products to minors. Some commentators speculate that these stances might be related to his abrupt departure. His explanation for the sudden departure is that he wants to spend more time with his wife and young children. Dr. Gottlieb is a survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Another week, another drug recall. Many lots of ARB blood pressure drugs, including Losartan, Valsartan, and Herbisartan, have been recalled over the past eight months. These medicines were contaminated with potential carcinogens known as NDMA and NDEA. Now, Heterolabs has recalled 87 lots, and Tarrant Pharmaceuticals Limited is recalling 100 lots of Losartan tablets. These pills contain an entirely new contaminant just identified as NMBA. It, too, is a suspected carcinogen. All three of these nitrosamine contaminants are apparently created as a result of the manufacturing process. FDA Commissioner Gottlieb stated, we're making important strides at understanding how these impurities form, and we're continuing to examine if nitrosamine impurities may also arise during the manufacture of other ARB drug products. 
The FDA is committed to implementing measures to prevent the formation of these impurities during drug manufacturing processes in the future. Cocoa flavonoids may have some benefit for people with multiple sclerosis, according to a small study. Previous research showed that dark chocolate rich in cocoa compounds might improve symptoms of chronic fatigue. The investigators recruited 40 people with relapsing remitting MS to drink cocoa every day for six weeks. 19 of them got high flavonoid cocoa, while 21 drank low flavonoid cocoa. At the end of the study, those on the high flavonoid cocoa had slightly less fatigue and could walk somewhat farther in six minutes than they had at the outset. They also reported less pain. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. 